Hey guys, this is Jeremy from 70 Productions, and welcome to the Level Up Podcast. Today we have with us Tim yep. and Jesse. What's going on? These guys are two of our contributors from the 78 Productions website. And before we get into this, I want to just say that this podcast is sponsored by Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout is a great product for those that want to have podcasts for their church or for their blog. It's one of those things where you want to promote something like this, and it's great to have a sponsor for one of your podcasts or your blog article. The thing that I love about this is we actually use this. I love the fact that it's super easy to use. It's automated. Whenever we upload something to Buzzsprout, it's automatically going to go to iTunes. Really, the fact is, is once you have the podcast created, you can get it ready in seconds. All right, now it is time for our first segment, Stage 1. So the first, the first podcast, I feel like we need a little bit of an introduction because I've been doing this for, what, four years now, three years, so people probably know who I am, but you guys are brand new contributors. Tim, tell us a little bit about um, what was it that brought you into church technology that really kind of got you invested in um, something that was kind of passionate for you? As a kid, um, I actually used to climb up in the organ. Um, I was I was something of a rebel, and so when uh, when the opportunity came about for me to be involved in recording the audio from the programs, I kind of jumped on that more so to please my mother than uh, any genuine interest. But of course, me being a oh, preteen and being kind of inundated with technology was just awesome. You know, I learned all about dials and buttons and volume faders and VU meters and all that fun stuff, and I was just hooked. So what I'm taking away from this is the essential answer for you is it's because your mom. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love my it. mom made me do it. <laughs> my mom made me do it. <laughs> Jesse, I think that you're probably, I think you've got a unique situation in the fact that you're starting up a church. What was it that, I mean, you probably have the pick of the litter because your brother is starting up a church and you're joining in with them and you could have a lot of different investment with yours. Why is it that you did church technology? Um, it, it started out um, as necessity. I remember when uh, when we were first talking, me, my, my brother, and my dad, we were like, all right, we're going to start a church. We're sitting in one of the local one of the local pubs, and we're like, how are we going to do it? <clears throat> and one of the things that's that's really big in our town that we were that we felt called to uh, was we've got a, a fairly large uh, state university um, in our town. So yeah. the, the automatic demographic that comes with that is, you know, students, but but people who engage with technology and, and engage with good designs and know what a good product is when they see it. I, I was the most technologically inclined of the three. So um, yeah. I, offered to, I offered to head up communication and social media as well as dabble with some design stuff. My part is really just ever ever evolving. I'm always learning stuff. Um, I don't feel like I'm an I'm an expert in anything I do yet. So it's kind of a it's kind of a trial and error process. But that's what that's what makes it fun. Yeah. Well, and for all three of us, it's more than just blogging about church technology or helping in the church. That all three of us have something we do more with technology, even outside of our own commitments with ministry of 
I know, Tim, you have a production company and you are constantly telling us about huge technology stuff. Jesse, you're doing you're doing photography, you're doing Android stuff. Apparently your wife is going to kill you about your, your lock screen. <laughs> I still customize that. I still haven't given that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, for our first stage, I, I don't know if you guys have anything spe- specifically pressing on you, but one of the things I think is in some ways defining... 2013, 2014 is the, I figure we'll go small with this, the NSA stuff that's going on and how does this work with church tech? What are you guys' thoughts on the whole NSA topic or what the church has to do as far as privacy? What do you guys think about a lot of this? I find it very interesting that in a country that was founded on liberty and and freedoms and, and rights as citizens, that we are now being subjected to the kind of monitoring and surveillance that, you know, we were okay with being applied to those that we deemed as suspicious. And it just seems that from a church perspective, you know, the more the government watches, the more they're going to know. And it's not that churches have anything to hide. It's just a lot of churches struggle with things like copyright. And if the government is watching, that just means or if the if the government is watching even closer than they have been in the past, it just means that copyright conformity is now even more of a pressing issue because they are watching. Yeah, I don't think it's something that we can take lightly by any means. Jesse, you're in a little bit of a different situation in the sense that you're starting up, you're just now trying to figure out the check-in services that you have and you're building your church's websites. You're in a maybe completely different scenario as far as church plan. What are your thoughts on? I'm not going to lie. I've, I've never thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> I always, um, with Missio Day, I, I think the leadership has just generally taken the stance of as far as the government goes, we'll do what we need to do. Yeah. Um, let's, let's not do anything illegal, obviously. Um, why either intentionally or accidentally. Um, and then just kind of really focus on the mission of the church. So I, I guess that to say we haven't come up, we haven't rubbed elbows against any any of those issues yet. We we try to, as far as legalities go, we we do what's necessary. I remember I remember talking about this um, when we were you know filing for our, our tax exempt status and all that stuff, and we kept bashing our heads against the wall because we we're just like. We want to be out in the community. Why do we have to file all this paperwork? Like, yeah. <laughs> it was a huge frustration. So that brings that brings up a great comment of you want to be out and you want to be seen and heard. And in some ways, I, I personally don't buy the idea of if we're good, then what does it matter? But you bring up a great point of we want to be seen, we want to be transparent, we want to let people know who we are. And in some ways, I know Youth for Christ. One of the unfortunate statements that has followed them is we're the best kept secret. Like if the NSA, which one to find us, couldn't because we're keeping it too much of a secret. And that's a terrible thing to have as far as church technology and how we're trying to communicate to everybody, especially for a church plant like you, Jesse. But even Tim, I don't know how long your church has been there, but that's a huge black stain or a black eye on on your church because nobody knows about you. And would the NSA even be able to find you? It's yeah. a great point. I mean, every, everything that we do with our technology, we, we do with the public in mind. I mean, there's there's very few things that we would communicate that we would communicate in a closed circle. Yeah. From that, I think in the ways that we communicate, we, we communicate with that in mind. So we just, 
I guess I guess that's why we don't think about it. We're just like, okay, well, everything's public. We want everything to be public, hmm. you know. So the idea of let's just let's make a big presence and let's let's do it abiding by what's there in front of us. Um, I mean, as far as as far as invasion of privacy goes, I guess me liking Google automatically puts me in the. I don't really care what anybody else knows about me. <laughs> they already have your information. Well, and if you yeah, if you put a nest, knows way more about me than the government does. So. Yeah, if you put a nest thermometer in there, they're going to know your temperature and when your church services are. And the reality uh, is, yeah. is, maybe Google employees will come to church with you, right? I know. I, I can't <laughs> wait for the day when I can uh, open up Google now and set my temperature on my nest. I mean, like, hey, I, <laughs> give it to me. Yeah. <laughs> I want it now. Can I beta test that? Is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> I think one of the big things from my position, especially doing social media. Everything I do is online. So a lot of church tech people, everything happens in-house. They don't really communicate with others. It's possible to be a church techie and never communicate with the outside world. My job is to do all of that all the time. And so I almost get a different approach of this topic of privacy is super important to the point of do we have permission slips for the kids that we're taking pictures of because it's on Facebook. When you upload something to Facebook, they immediately own the rights to it. And even more to a global approach of are we putting our staff in danger when we talk about them online? I know we have people in very dangerous places sometimes. And so is us talking about them going to get them in harm's way? And by any means, if the NSA comes to us and says, you know what, we need this information, that could put them at risk in some ways. So I think that's a, a different twist on this as far as trying to understand privacy. And in, in some ways, the church needs to fully think through all of that, not just because of what the government involvement is, which if you're listening, we love NSA, we support them. But if not, then I think that privacy is important even outside of that. I, I want to kind of dovetail off of your last statement there, Jeremy. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that actually is, is very alarming and concerning is just the sheer number of predators that are out there online yeah. and, you yeah. know, actively hunting for their next target. You know, that's that's kind of really scary and something that churches should think about before they start posting uh, pictures of their children. We were watching the news the other day, and they showed that there is this software online that you can put a picture in, and a lot of cameras these days record your coordinates of where the picture was taken. And they can mm -hmm. use this software, pull that out, and in a matter of a few moments, they can cross-reference that with other data online and find out where you live, where the child goes to school, where you go to church, where their favorite... I mean, it's just, it's mind-blowing and extremely mm -hmm. scary. Well, and I think the people, one yeah. of the questions I was asked was, why should we do a photo release of anybody, including adults? And immediately, my two, point, my two points of it were, first of all, if you're going to upload photos immediately, you're immediately telling people where these people are. And secondly, what happens if there's a messy divorce going on or what happens if there's some kind of restraining order against one of the parents or a family member and all of a sudden you're starting to post pictures of, hey, I'm at this church at this time and youth groups on Wednesday nights and Sunday we just have a lot of worship time with our teenagers. All of a sudden you're putting that kid in significant risk as well as probably some kind of legal standing where you're breaking it. And so if you don't have their permission to post those photos you could be seriously harming your congregation members. Well, and you open yourself up for liability. I mean, that's just the law. Yep, so. totally agree. So I think the final thing we can say is be smart and protect your protect your congregation and your staff. Well, and, and, and I think it's a conversation that needs to happen at the staff level. Agreed. 
Alright guys, I think we finished stage one. It's time for the power-up level. Alright guys, the power-up stage is where we dive into one of the 78 Productions articles that we had written a couple of weeks ago. Talk about where it came from. Uh, for those that read it, our reactions to the article and give a little bit deeper discussion on what that topic is. Does anyone have an article that they love that they want to jump into? Yeah, I, I came across the article that Jesse wrote, Remember When It Was Fun, kind of addressing the burnout that I think every church tech experiences at, at some point. When he wrote that article, I get to read them all before they go live. When he started writing this article, it was one of those where it was midnight and I was just like, oh, I got to get an article up. I got to get it ready for tomorrow. And I started reading it. And it's one of those where it was like, I'm in the rush of things. I start reading the first couple of sentences and I almost pause to, I mean, I, I literally had like one of those, it wasn't a full blown goosebumps, but it was like, hold on, take some time, look through this. I definitely, I don't know if that was how you felt, Jesse, when you wrote it, but maybe you can give us a little bit of backstory of why you wrote about that and why it's so powerful. Well, there were, there were two reasons why I wanted to address the issue of burnout um, in church ministry at large, but then specifically for church tech. For for church ministry at large, it was just because it happens all the time, and it's it's such a dangerous thing that stifles ministry. And anything that stifles ministry is counterproductive to the kingdom. It just is. So I want to be able to communicate about combating that because it's it's so prevalent in our churches. You know, pastors not taking vacations, paid staff that can't get paid enough, but they work all the time, volunteers who spend more time setting up and tearing down than they get actually, you know, enjoying the service or enjoying the sermon. That stuff is so prevalent and so so dangerous for, for congregants, and I'm speaking as, as a church leader, that I, I wanted to make sure that that I hit that hard. And for, for church tech, I remember I was, I was part of a larger church a few years ago who basically had one guy do everything. And the church was, well, fairly large for our area. I know I'm not touching the Midwest or the South or anything like that, but you know, the, the church was about 600 and we, we had, I guess what I would call a pretty big soundboard or whatever, but he, he did literally everything he did. He did sound, he did presentation, he did he did the lighting, he was there at any special event, which that could occur, you know, several times a week, three or four times. He was not paid staff, and he just looked terrible. I mean, no offense to him, but this was bivocational ministry that he was doing, but it was just eating up his life in a way that wasn't healthy. I see. I saw that in him as as really the only local example I have of a, of a church techie, um, other than I guess myself. But I mean, <laughs> we're still we're still running sound out of a karaoke machine. So, <laughs> well, and it's tough whenever you have this calling that you want to start a church that maybe it's as specific as you need to help the church with their technology stuff. That it's for God, and and what are you going to be able to do with all this. And I, I even remember you writing an article before this about how you were using technology while you're holding your daughter. And why is it that we're stuck on all this stuff when we have beautiful things in front of us? We have these people in our church that want to hear Jesus that are trying to figure out what this hope is for their life. And we're too stuck on, should, th should we use this motion background with this font or should we skip it and just do a plain background? And 
I don't want to dismiss that, but there's something more to what we do. And if we get stuck in trying to accomplish everything we want to do, sometimes we lose sight of what's going on and, and lose sight of the original calling of what we were trying to do. Yeah, it's it's so it's so easy to lose to lose Jesus and to lose gospel mission when you're when you're caught up in doing everything all of the time. And I mean, we we even start to see it in our church plant. And I talk about it a little bit in the article. Twenty percent of the people doing eighty percent of the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, for us, twenty percent of the people might only be fifteen or twenty people. Those fifteen twenty people doing eighty percent of the work is ridiculous. I mean, we're we're small, so we're my my dad. <laughs> He says we're small, so we're like a speed. Whereas a, a larger church, if it stays large, is is more like like <laughs> like a huge ship trying to turn. It'll take three months before it changes directions. So we're, we're fast. We're we're out there. We're doing stuff. We're responding to needs like at the drop of a hat. And and it's it's exhausting. I, I remember even even myself. We were our, our town held marketplace events. You know, where lots of different vendors and w- would come together and and set up shop for a day and you know lots of lots of children's events and all that stuff. And I remember we had like two or three in a row, like in the course of maybe like six weeks. And that's just an all day Saturday thing. And by the third one, I was just like, I literally, I I leaned over to one of my buddies and I said, this is ridiculous. (laughs) I said, we've got to stop this or we're all going to die. (laughs) It was in the middle of the summer. So it was 90 degrees, you know, and it's like, it's like, it was so, (laughs) it was so exhausting. Yeah, and I'm I'm like I can't even imagine trying to do this full time or, or just having to do this every every day. Like that's I couldn't even imagine that. Tim, what was it about this article that kind of drew you towards it? Was it something in your past as well, or just the appreciation for the actual person doing the tech stuff? Well, it's kind of both. Um, at one point in my not so recent past, my particular choices to go to church on Saturdays and I was getting up at you know eight in the morning to make make it to church by 9 30 to set up for a at that point I was kind of leading the video uh, ministry for an 11 o'clock service and then I'd edit that afternoon uh, if I had the time to do it and then maybe I'd have a program that night well, fast forward a couple of years, and then I take on the uh, responsibilities of helping in tech at a mobile church, you know, a church in a box. And so I'd go to church, you know, for the video thing in the morning, and I'd run sound and run basically the, the tech um, and the tech crew for this mobile church. And I'd get home after putting in 15 hours of work being just absolutely knocked out. So, Jesse, I definitely hear the, the exhausted part of that. And, you know, it wasn't too long before I was like, I just can't keep up. And I was going to college as well. I was wrapping up my my, uh, bachelor's degree. I mean, it was just, I couldn't do it. And so I finally had to make the decision to leave the church I grew up in and focus my efforts on this mobile church because, you know, that's where I was getting my my food. And, you know, it's tough because you go into a lot of these smaller churches. They don't have to be mobile. But you go into these uh, smaller churches, and usually it is one one person that has been running it for years. I was in one uh, in California recently. The guy, the same guy, had been running that system since 1985. How he did it, I have no idea. But I mean, it's like it, it brings up an interesting question. And and Jesse, I'll, I'll ask this to you: What is the role of leadership in recruiting new people, or or is leadership even to be involved? I think leadership needs to be involved. 
if your leadership is taking the role of shepherd seriously, you you can't look at a guy who's running who's running the show by himself and say I'm caring for him well. That mm-hmm. doesn't work. It's it's not compatible. It's outrageous, and it needs to be addressed in churches across America. Well, but I don't so, I don't think anybody would doubt that. I think that the tough part becomes when it's in the monotony of the everyday and the this person asks this thing, okay, I'm going to start doing that, and then this person asks this thing, well, okay, I have a little bit of time, I'll, I'll start doing that. And it's not like it's a, um, a sharp rise to burnout. I think that that's the difficult part is it, it's the slow compromises that we, yeah. we start to do. And in some ways, that's on you as a church tech person. And in some ways, if you're a volunteer, if you're only if you're part of a team, and not the leadership in that, it's the leadership's responsibility. And if you're the team leader doing that, it's the responsibility of the other staff around you, the, the pastor that he's investing in you, that he has enough clarity to see that that's going on in you. So I agree, but I also think that it, it takes the constant reminder of what are you doing? Why is it that? I'm not doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And you have that person that can call you out on it, but also speak into your life. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's so easy to complain about our lives, but what I'm, what I'm trying like, hear the message in this. So right now, currently, my life is ridiculously busy. I'm a new dad. I'm a husband. So I'm a husband and a father, you know, the spiritual leader of our home. We are, we're currently renting. We just bought a car. Hallelujah. Family car, swagger wagon. Woohoo. I'm, I'm going to school um, for nursing. I work full-time, and I'm planting a church. So my days look like school, work, sleep, school, work, sleep, school, work, sleep, school, work, sleep. Yeah. That schedule has really has really caused me to do kind of what you said and, and evaluate where I'm at, look at the responsibilities that God has placed on me. None of these things I can scale back, but within those things, I can evaluate what I'm doing. So <laughs> so that's, that's why the, the first... Under the, I wrote baby steps because I can't just complain about a problem without without bringing action to it. The first yeah. step is ask for help. Yeah. If if you're overwhelmed, the first step is to reach out. And and the hope would be that you're part of a covenant community that would that would see see the need of of your exhaustion. Um. And and after if if they're not being proactive about it, at least if they're being reactive about it, they'll see that and they'll be they would ask you. What do you need to do? What do we need to figure out? What do we need to post in the bulletin? What needs, you know, who can you train? Do you know anybody? And 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 I, I think it goes from there. But I, I think the one of the hard parts is the introspection that I've only learned out of necessity because I hate introspection. Yeah. But um, that that yeah. does drive a big part of it. But um, I think if there are any leaders listening. I, I would encourage them to evaluate their staff and evaluate your tech people and say, do they need help? I think that would be a great way that, that um, a shepherd could shepherd well to their church text. Yeah, I totally agree. Tim, you picked this out, so I'm going to give you the final word. You got any final thoughts? Yeah, um, I think the one thing that leaders need to be aware of is that church tech has an attraction to those that have a need to be needed. Um, I know that I certainly have that need. Uh, sometimes I wonder if it's to the unhealthy extreme, but it's important that not only do you look for that in people because that's who's really going to shine in my experience in, in those positions, but you also appreciate 
on a regular basis. Just make it yeah. make it a habit, because in a lot of the churches out there, uh, church tech is is fulfilled by volunteers. A lot of times, it's a thankless job because good church tech is transparent. It's invisible. Mm-hmm. It's only bad church tech that gets noticed. Um, it's important to appreciate them on a regular basis, and it's important to continue to cast that vision in front of them. Give them the the why and and the what that they are doing um, on a regular basis to make sure that they truly understand the impact that they're having, not only locally, but um, outside the church. I think that leadership is where we need to really focus, just like what you said, and really try to invest in our team and, and the entire community that we're trying to invest with, with church technology. All right, I think that completes the power-up stage. Now to talk with Eric Dye in the boss level. All right, guys, now it's time for the boss level. I have with me Eric Dye, the editor, editor-in-chief, I don't know what you want to call yourself, of Church Mag, one of the biggest Christian magazines that's constantly at the top of people's list for best Christian blog online. You guys write about church tech stuff, church nerdy stuff, and really anything that has to do with being geeky and fun. Welcome. Thanks, Jeremy. Um, one of the topics we had you on, Sony Productions, a lot of different times, the video interviews we've done in the past, but the one thing that I've always wanted to talk about and never had the forum until today is to talk about what it means to be a blogging editor. And there's a lot of churches out there that are like, let's do blogging, that's fun, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's something different about having a community of people on a blog and then having someone that's an editor that's able to actually take the time to make sure that the content you're putting out meets a certain standard and quality. And you've been doing this for ChurchMag for quite a while. Do you want to share maybe a quick behind the scenes of what you do as far as editor for ChurchMag? Yeah, as far as being an editor um, behind a, a community blog like ChurchMag, um, you know, there's it's it almost feels like half the battle. Uh, because like you said, you know, there's formatting, you know, so that, that although each article is written by somebody different, there is a cohesion with not only the uh, technical aspects like, you know, H1, H2, H3 headings or how you cite a source or how you cite an image. You know, just little nuances like that can make a huge difference in in how a blog or in this case, you know, kind of an online magazine comes across, you know, so that there's some consistency with that. Uh, how the images are done, et cetera. So um, there, there's a lot of time and effort, more than you'd realize, um, because, you know, you have so many different people coming at different angles who even have their own styles. Like there, there are certain things that you do every time that I have to change when you submit a post. <laughs> uh, when, when Phil submits a post, I automatically know what I have to do. When Trey automatically submits a post, I automatically know what I need to do. Rachel so on. All, all, all of the, the regulars and, and those that, that maybe post every couple months, I usually know what automatically what needs to change in that post. I kind of automatically know who's who has what strengths and weaknesses, um, these kind of things. And to that degree, it could be very re- rewarding as an editor because you get to know people's styles and stuff. But uh, that's one reason why it's important to have an editor so that you have somebody who's overlooking everything. They know what's going on so that you don't have, you know, 
one day out of the week that you have a bunch of heavy posts because there's there's kind of a formula. You're kind of like serving up a meal every day or every week, depending on your blog post frequency. And so you need somebody who can kind of oversee that and, and know that, you know, you probably shouldn't serve three steaks on the same day, that you should do a steak and some veggies, you know, on the side. Uh, you also want to make sure you're not, you know, have have a day where, uh, you have a bunch of sweets, all right, because then your readers are going to be, you know, wigging out. Uh, so to borrow an analogy from, from you know, cooking food or, or making up meals, that's kind of how you can look at, at how you serve up your content. Uh, so those are some of the things that are really important as far as having an overseer and an editor. Now, when you're talking about, like you're saying, as far as like a church blog, yeah, this can take a lot of pressure off of the writers, like, you know, you, you guys, when you submit posts, I mean, you do them, you do them your own style. You don't worry about exact formatting. Uh, you don't worry about all the technical details. You just kind of, you know, do your thing and submit them. Yeah. Like Phil, Phil never attaches an image, ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. But that's okay because half the time he's writing like, you know, five to 800 words. So like, pfft. That's fine, you know, and I can read it and then, you know, find an image and kind of, you know, add a little something to it. And so it takes pressure off of him. I mean, if he had to make sure everything was just so, I'm sure he would write a lot less, right? Right. So no, totally. Could just could, could just do their thing and submit them and be done and not worry about it. They don't have to worry about scheduling it. They don't have to worry about all that kind of thing. So that, having an editor is like – it sounds like – huge and important but really it's not you're just somebody who can go in there make sure everything looks uh, like it needs to establish some some uh, writing guidelines not only for your guys to try to follow but also for yourself so that you're consistent in how you cite items you know do you always do an uppercase i when you spell internet uh, <laughs> how do you how do you do wi-fi a smartphone one word or two words i mean right. there's little nuances like that that if you just have one person that knows they can read through a post make the changes it's no big deal well and i think and then, that i think that kind of what you're saying in some ways it makes me want to tell churches oh you want to get into the blogging game don't hire a blogger to blog for your church hire a, an editor to be an editor for your blog have your pastors write the content in some way shape or form and then they get to do the quality control, just like you're saying, that they get to have the five food groups going on to the blog, that you're getting all the different things that you need. And they're just doing quality control, that they're not necessarily writing the content. Right. And you can, you can feed stories as well. Yeah. You know, a lot of times in the back channel, we'll be talking or something will, something will happen or a topic will be brought up. And I'm like, well, why don't you write a post about it? You know, <laughs> go for it. Uh, you know, like Phil a couple of times was talking about, hey, I tried this new app out. And I'm like, dude. Write a post. He's like, okay, I'll write a post on it. That'll be easy. I didn't think of that. You know, you think bloggers were always thinking about what they can write about, but it's not always always the case. So an editor can be somebody that that, that feeds others ideas. You know, uh, and if you have multiple writers, you know who has what strengths. You know, if I want somebody to do some like trippy sci-fi religious intersection thing, like that's Phil all the way. You know, if I want like the nerdiest, geekiest Android post in the world. I have Trey Lawrence do it. You know, I, I know who does who does what. So if there's a story idea or someone brings it up, you know, you know, kind of know who who to, to direct that to as well. Um, and another thing, as far as kind of 
your editor work that you do. One thing that I've been doing since uh, since the very beginning is keeping track of your numbers. Every week you go through and you log how you know all your posts for for, for us. You know, at the frequency of logs, so it's it's got to be every every week. So it really depends on your frequency. But I have a log of every post that's posted every week, and I know how many different kinds of social shares it has. So I know how many Google Plus, Facebook, etc. After the post has been sitting for about one week. So I know all those numbers. So I can see at a glance how well a post is doing. And then I can also see how well a writer is doing. And I can look at a glance. I can see what kind of articles do better than others. And I can also see how my categories have been uh, distributed. So I might have a week and be like, man, we only touched on that category once. That's terrible. You know, <laughs> we might should kind of boost that up a little bit, kind of be mindful for that when you schedule out your, you know, your next week. And so an editor, you also want to make sure that you are monitoring what's going on, what's working, what's not working, and, and that sort of thing as well. Yeah, and I think that we've kind of given a little, a little bit of glamour in the sense of if someone's jumping into this and they want to be an editor for their church's blog, there are going to be some difficult points where you got to ask a, a pastor to um, change something or you say no to something or you so heavily modify it because a pastor has written a sermon and you need a blog post or you ask him to break it up into different articles. So I think there are difficulties that come with this, but the editor brings some kind of focus and attention to what it is that you're intentionally doing with this that wouldn't come if you just asked a blogger to do it because they're focused on pumping out posts as opposed to making sure that the blog itself gets as much impact and consistency and branding as possible, that really, that's what you're trying to hire, is someone to be able to engage with an online audience. I think that that just brings it to a whole new level. Yeah, it also makes the ability to have multi-author possible. Um, you know, obviously, I, I fill in the gaps, and so it does help to have someone who's an editor who can write as well and can kind of fill in the gaps and make sure that you're hitting the frequency that you need to be. Um, but when you're when you have so many different people with their with their irons in the fire, you really need to have somebody who can oversee that for sure. Awesome. I love it. Eric, thank you for joining us for the boss level. Hey, and since this is the boss level, I definitely should probably at least breathe fire or something. At least once. <laughs> there it is. Thanks, man. Thanks for listening to the Level Up Podcast. If you haven't yet, subscribe to us on iTunes and sign up for the newsletter to get exclusive podcast content and freebies. This went terrible real quick. This is where Sean Connery will come in. I think we should incorporate um, Tim's mom in it somehow. I don't think I've ever played the original Mario. What? <laughs> oh. Initiate emulator download. <laughs> exactly. Crikey, I'm ready.